0: The most downloaded episode in the history of the leading saints podcast is my interview with rob farrell the young single adult stake president that i recorded probably 18 months ago maybe two years ago it's phenomenal and i constantly get emails from people saying hey have you done a part two to that interview well i'm happy to say we've done so much more than a part two we actually invited rob to present in front of a live audience and we recorded it all he gives us five additional hours, roughly, of content of his leadership approach and uh, perspective. It is so helpful. I've had countless emails of people saying how much this has deeply impacted their approach to leadership. If you have not seen it, you've got to see it. And you can see it in the Core Leader Library, which we make available to all core leaders. Now, to become a core leader, you just go to leadingsaints.org slash donate, And there you can uh, submit a monthly, quarterly, or yearly subscribing donation, and that gets you access to not only Rob Farrell's presentation in the Core Leader Library, but the entire Core Leader Library. So you got to check it out. Go to leadingsaints.org slash donate and help us grow this organization and move it forward by becoming a Core Leader. I just had a coughing fit and had to restart recording this. This is the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, and I am your host. We welcome you back for another episode. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, we are a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead, and we do that through various methods. One of them, one of the most popular methods, is this podcast, and we're glad you found us and hope that you peruse many of the, I don't know, I've lost track, how many, are we at 400 yet? I don't know. We have a lot of episodes out there that will, uh, all talking about principles and concepts of leadership. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Gayna Lynn Condi and Scott Sorensen, who host the uh, Real Talk video series, which is on the Siegel Book uh, YouTube channel. And there's links, uh, obviously, in the show notes where to find them. But they do sort of a unique approach to Come Follow Me. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of options, a lot of phenomenal options on YouTube or other places online to get a little uh, insight for your Come Follow Me efforts. And uh, they do a phenomenon where they, they really try and have real conversations that uh, touch maybe those individuals that feel marginalized in our culture. And anyways, we go into that really good conversation about, you know, mental health as it relates to creating connection in the church and also in our families and how we as leaders can better stimulate that connection to not only youth, but adults who maybe feel like uh, they don't belong or they uh, they aren't like everybody else. So phenomenal discussion. You'll enjoy it. Here's my interview with Gainalyn Condi and Scott Sorensen, the co-host of Real Talk. Today, I have the opportunity through the magic of Zoom, which is sort of everybody's reality is Zoom these days, to talk with uh, Gainalyn Condi and Scott Sorensen from the Real Talk video series. How are you two?
1: We're excited to be here. I know. Thanks for having us on. This is great. Very nice
0: well I'm excited to have you guys and it's been fun to see the good work that you're doing online and and again Alllyn I think you you're just anytime I check Facebook you're within the first top whether top five posts whether it's like high five live or some other you're just you're a mover and a shaker in the social media world
2: Well Scott asked today if I was a robot but he's sure <laughs> based on all my crying that I'm not a robot but yeah I think I'm trying to build the kingdom in any corner. I can, including trying to keep up with the chips and cereal consumption of my family during COVID. Who knew nice. that that's where there was a gap in my food preparation storage plan?
1: Nice. <laughs> in all awesome. fairness, I, I don't think Gaina Lynn's a robot. I'm just not sure when she sleeps. That's, that's the question. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. I don't understand how she gets all of that done. She's today. a
0: translated being
2: that no, does not need sleep. That's right? where that's not true, but Scott is just as busy. We just Very we're cool. just all trying the best we can, right?
0: Well, Gwendolyn, let's just hear if people aren't as familiar with uh, some of the stuff you've done and put out there, uh, which, when people ask you what you do or, or your background, what, what do you tell them?
2: I feel like the new phrase I'm trying to use to describe myself as a faith commentator because I love interfaith work and I do a lot of non-denominational platforms like TV and radio that is not faith-based. But I hope that I'm sharing through writing and speaking and various media platforms uh, messages of faith and hope, regardless of how you identify religiously. I think uh, the idea of a faith principle is super helpful, especially as we're living through this COVID-19, the vulnerability in the world right now. And and I think many people may know me from the messaging I do around suicide prevention. Six years ago, my 40-year-old sister died by suicide. And so I always say I don't just talk about that, but I always talk about that. So if I can squeeze it in whether I'm doing a radio interview, real talk episode, women of worth, or, or writing a book, I i am trying to share messages that give us permission to talk about some of these more vulnerable and sensitive subjects, specifically mental health and suicide.
0: Yeah. And, and I love just your approach with it all because it is something, especially in leadership, like every leader wants to be the leader that's not afraid of the tough topics, you know, because that's where... A lot of people need the help and reassurance and guidance, but sometimes it's scary, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? And so you've been a great example of of how to effectively do that and connect with people. So, I'm glad you're you're in the effort.
2: I feel like what I hear back is I'm willing to talk about the awkward things so that other people feel like they can dive in or just put their toe in. And so, if that's what I do, regardless of the awkward topic, I'm sure I'm going to say something awkward today. So, (laughs) you know, that's just how I roll.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice. Scott, what about you? What's your background?
1: So, currently, let's see. Background is... Let's see, what what should I tell you about personal life? I've been married for 16 years, been very blessed there. I have three kids. Uh, Currently, I'm a seminary teacher. I have not always been a full-time seminary teacher. I spent 10 years in the business world before I decided to move to something a little bit more within what I really wanted to do in my life's mission. And so now I'm a full-time seminary teacher, and I teach high school students, and I absolutely love everything. Around that, I love the youth. I love what I do, and so for me, my one of the biggest things that I like to do is provide a place for students to go where they can rest a little bit. A lot of these kids are going through really tough things. I mean, we live—I live in Utah County in Utah—and so you know they call it Happy Valley, and I have found that that is not necessarily the case. And so, like Gainalyn, I have no problem diving into some of the more difficult subjects that people don't want to talk about because I found it extremely useful. And so that's one of the things that I like. I, I, don't, I don't understand the gospel unless it's relevant. If it's something that's too far ahead for me, I have a hard time with it. And so I'm much more interested in, like, if this gospel is a real thing that can help real people, then it should work today it shouldn't be an abstract theology that that i can study and set aside and then you know it never influences my life so that's really where my my passion's at is helping the youth find their mission helping them in their relationships with themselves with each other with god and to try and open their hearts and minds up to a lifestyle that, w- that where they will find fulfillment and joy and so that's really what what i'm trying to do uh along with Gainelin though i do have i i personally have experience with mental affliction. I have depression and anxiety, so that's something that her and I we talk a lot about. Just because it's an ex- it's experiences that we both share, and so through that lens is how I see a lot of the gospel. And so it's how mortality has affected me in a in a big way. And so anyway, things like that I'm I, I find very useful to talk about, and not necessarily to fix, but to accept and understand a little better, and to like I said, find some fulfillment. Even when some of us suffer with things that aren't going away anytime soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I I don't know if this is an appropriate question, but I I think we, especially now, you hear about depression, anxiety, and, you know, it gets thrown around and uh, various people, you know, experience that and and wrestle with it from time to time. In your experience, like, especially as we, you know, we see you you look like a, you know, the guy that's got his life together, your seminary teacher, you know, you even figured out how to tie that tie this morning. Uh, Yeah. So what, I mean, how does that manifest itself day to day living your gospel experience?
1: I'll give you an example, Kurt, just with this, my anxiety, my depression in general, they're two separate things, by the way, they have a connection, but they're two very different things. And so for me, depression has been a hard one for earlier in my life. It still comes, it still comes and goes now, but it's less about an attack on my identity. My anxiety is really where my, my troubles are now. So for example, just doing a, uh a podcast interview like this, I have to prepare. I take a lot of time. I meditate a lot. Um, I have to, to pray and align myself. I have a lot of different things I do so that I can quiet that voice. That fear is maybe a good word to put it, a paralyzing fear where I can function. And so, there's a lot of things that go on for me in the background, even just to, to be interviewed like this. I'll even tell you, I'll give you a good example, even just dropping things off at homes of people in my community that are good friends of mine. Uh, if I'm not careful, that anxiety can get so bad where I'll sit in my car outside of their house and I'll just choose to drive home instead of, because for yeah. whatever reason, that is just, uh, it seems like an, uh, an Im- impossible task at the time. And so it's, you know, that's, that's one of the main ways it gets to me. I call it task anxiety. Even just picking up the phone to text or to call someone. And even if it's a simple thing. And so that's where it really gets to me the most right now is just in simple daily tasks and trying to overcome f- or trying to quiet that anxiety enough where I can, I can, you know, function. And some days are better than others. And the last couple of weeks have been tough and I've, I've had a, I've had a hard time with it, but I appreciate yeah. you asking so I can articulate it because I think sometimes people say anxiety. And it can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but for me, it's just sometimes just simply doing anything is mm-hmm. is a is a battle. And so, um, yeah, yeah, hopefully that that gives some examples of yeah that of, helps
0: because sometimes I wonder, especially in the leadership context. You know, I know there, without a doubt, there's leaders out there that are wrestling with anxiety or, or depression, but they don't. They, but at the same time, they think, well, but I don't like lay in bed all day and cry. So you know maybe that's not it. Right. And so to have somebody articulate what it is day to day, especially task oriented, you know, for, I think of, uh, you know, someone in a bishopric that everything seems so easy to the other members of the bishopric, but for them it's sort of crippling. Right. And so to recognize that, and then as a leader, it's easy to sort of look someone and be like, man, like I'm just asking them to go do their ministering, like just pick up the phone and call them. But to them, it's like, I can't do that. I literally just can't get past
2: that. Kurt, can I just interject that you've seen a glimpse of why I just feel grateful to co host Real Talk with Scott and call him my friend and my brother? And, you know, I I feel like I face anxiety more often than depression, as in a similar way, it's made working together such a joy because, you know, anytime we're prepping or, or discussing the show or, you know, preparing for an interview like this, I had one of those nights as well, and I know this is an individual that can validate and understand where the adversary uses that mortal condition to his advantage and can shut us down so quickly. And I I get comments all the time as well, like, gosh, you write books, you're on TV, you've got all these shows, and your son came home from a mission, you've been married 29 years, you have this great daughter that's a mate what do you have to struggle with? Right. And I, I mean, I really appreciate Scott's willingness, but I would just say within the leadership context of what you were just discussing, he is in the bishopric. So we were kind of smiling when you said that, um, (laughs) that it is his strength, you know, and I can see it in Scott every day. Like every time I interact with him, he's a brilliant mind, but, and he's got a great collection of socks, by the way, he's a good clothes horse. But I see it as his strength and I think anyone listening to this that see, there's the socks.
0: Showing his socks off <laughs> showing his the Zoom. socks nice. on Zoom.
2: Um, <laughs> that it's added to him. It's not a distraction from him. Now I can say that about Scott all day long. Like, you know, if I if real talk ends, I'll still be his PR rep because I'm a huge fan. <laughs> but when, when I look in the mirror Oh, I'm not like praising God that God gave me my inadequacies and my struggles with anxiety and my various things on that list. So, I think it's just helpful to say that, you know, part of what we bring to the table is that we know that when you're when you're privately battling and it's never discussed publicly whether that's from the pulpit or in a classroom setting or on a show, there's so many other people that are the happy, you know, I always say it's probably the person in your ward that's more like Robin Williams, that's happy and joyful, that's struggling silently hmm. than it is the person you think that isn't getting out of bed and not that that isn't part of it for some people. There is uh, still a lot of work to do on breaking down our preconceived ideas of what anxiety looks like, depression looks like. And um, I just think Scott's a great ambassador to that. And I hope that if we say nothing else the rest of the interview, just that to me every time i say that i hear from somebody that says thank you for you know being honest about your vulnerability and i definitely see that as a teacher and as a friend and as a as a leader his struggles have added to his ability to reach people and to serve the lord not taken away yeah
0: well i think that uh, i definitely want to jump into some of those uh details here as we as we get going but tell us about real talk as far as how it began and you know there's there's a, a, a variety of options out there as far as YouTube individuals that are sharing their perspective on "Come Follow Me," which is great. I think the more the merrier. You know, there's an audience for everybody out there. So, what was the process? And I know this is sort of it's sponsored by Siegel Book, right? Uh, so, so walk us through how this journey began.
1: You want to start, Scott? Sure. So, from my perspective, it was a little different for both of us, but from my perspective, I wrote a book about "Come Follow Me." with the Book of Mormon. So it's called Come Follow Me Through the Book of Mormon and uh for Siegel. And so I wrote a book essentially doing what I what I do in a seminary classroom, but try and just give families and individuals every week a few, maybe some object lessons, videos, creative ways to study their scriptures. So we're not just kind of starting at, you know, this chapter and ending at the at five chapters later, to give some variety and creativity, some discussion questions that they can have with themselves or with their family. So I was writing that at the end of last year. And then, and so, and once I got, once I had finished that and it was kind of a whirlwind, they asked me, they said, Hey, we have this, we have this other author, Gaina Lynn, who we were going to have her do this come follow me show. And we thought maybe the two of you might, might want to do it together. You seem like you view the gospel in similar ways. And so we, Gaina Lynn and I had met before, for like, I don't know, 10 minutes, maybe Gaina Lynn, if Yeah, that was it. it was
2: very brief once at the grocery store mm-hmm. and I think once and at an event and had very little interaction.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, just really quick, my wife is, Gaina, is uh Gaina Lynn's, can I say this, fashion stylist? Yeah. My wife's a professional fashion stylist and set wow. designer. And so anyway, so her and Gaina Lynn had, have had a relationship for a while. And that's kind of, I just knew Gaina Lynn kind of incidentally or indirectly because of my wife.
2: And from my side, you know, I had kind of done so low budget production, like with my cell phone, come follow me content all last year. And I've published six books now and three CDs with Covenant and Siegel. And so they had come to me early on about kind of creating something more in house. And like you gently said, Kurt, (laughs) there is a plethora I love that word. A plethora of bloggers and YouTubers and come follow me resources. Scott and I really celebrate the large ocean of opportunity to message around come follow me. But it becomes a unique challenge. I think Scott and I probably carry this in common as I I have a lot of opportunities to say yes to things. And if I'm not saying yes to something that's adding something unique to the world, then I'm happy staying home in my yoga pants. And not that I'm doing yoga, let's just be honest about it. <laughs> yeah. We call it that, but my loungewear and you know, spending time with my family. And so I want to build the kingdom, but I don't want to do something that's kind of already been out there done. And a lot of people are doing it really effectively or they're reaching a large number of people. And so we were kind of in the 11th hour, we had been talking for a few months about what it would look like to kind of collaborate instead of it just being a solo gig, but in-house. And it was literally the 11th hour. And I had only had those few conversations with Scott and our producer, we call her producer, Amy. And she came to me and she's fabulous. She's gonna be so happy. We gave her a shout out. She's from the UK. So she's got this amazing accent, which means I say yes to everything she asks me, because she just sounds cool when she asks me things. And she came to me and she was very nervous because think about this, like they've handed the show over we've we've been in development on it and it's a solo gig. And now they're like, Hey, do you know this guy, Scott, do you want to do it with him? And so she was very tentative when she came and proposed it to me. And I'm going to just say this. I think I've shared it with Scott a number of times, but the spirit was so clear. I mean, I wasn't even hesitant and, and she was taken back. Cause I think she was ready to have a conversation and I was like, yep. She's like, wait, what? And I said, listen, I'm going to say I've been doing live TV. I've been hosting and producing my own podcast for six years. I have a lot in my library. And so I'm not saying Scott and I from day one are just going to have the greatest synergy or I don't even know how he's going to do when they... When that green light goes on on the camera, it's right, Scott... (laughs) <laughs> it's a little crazy, you know, and we were going to tape within like a month. I mean, it was really fast turnaround. We were going to start taping in December so come January 1, this new show would be out there and content ready. But I knew what the spirit had said, and so I just trust to my bosses and and I said absolutely yes. And it was probably the best yes I've said other than saying yes to my husband who Scott has affectionately named Captain America. And um you know, I've had some of those key moments. And then we had some conversations and I was just, and I do love his wife, Paige, and she had shared some behind the scenes. And this is kind of one of the topics we're going to talk about today, his support of and value of women in a gospel setting in discussing the scripture. And I don't, I hope I don't offend any of your listeners in saying that Scott and I still encounter people that are kind of like, well, in the New Testament, women shouldn't be teaching about the the gospel. So why are you talking about the scriptures, lady? Hush your mouth, you know? (laughs) And we still get trolls that are like, love real talk, but why does that girl with the weird name keep interrupting and saying anything, you know? And so there's some of that from a cultural perspective. And Paige came to me and just said, you'll never find someone that is a greater advocate of women than my husband. And that has proven we have worked pretty hard for I don't know how many months now since December together. And we're not perfect, but we we very much sat down and said, what can we bring to Real Talk that's different than than is out there? And the first thing was we wanted to keep it as close to 20 minutes as possible. We have friends episodes with like Tim Ballard, Susan Easton Black, Hank Smith that go long. But our weekly ones, we wanted it to feel like it was doable for anyone because there's a lot of students of the scriptures out there that don't mind listening to 45 minutes to an hour about a lesson on Come Follow Me. But we knew we were missing that the net wasn't big enough for the people, the busy mom, the YSA that doesn't feel like they're sure about their, their wrestle with their own faith or whatever. The other thing is we wanted to keep it real, you know? Like Scott, I share a passion that God didn't give us these scriptures and preserve them for them to be stories about the past. They are tools to help us today. And if we're not seeing ourselves at the in the woman at the well or in Simon Peter and his tendency to cuss a little, you know, if we're not seeing ourselves in that, then we're missing the point of scripture reading and study together. And we're losing too many people in from a faith perspective but even like from a suicide perspective that that have lost the feeling that God is severely aware of us and interested in supporting us. So that was our why from the beginning. Can we keep it close to 20 minutes? Can we keep it real? And can we make the scriptures feel applicable to what's really happening? And then can we do that in a way that models this male-female perspective? We don't always agree. We spend... Way more time off camera prepping. And sometimes I wish someone was recording those conversations because we go there, you know, and we don't have a time limit. And I think we've done that. I mean, we're, we're halfway through the year almost. And, and I feel like we're reaching the singles in the church that are like, I don't have someone to sit down and do come follow me. When we started, no one had any clue that we would have a pandemic. And so one of the whys we had was that we didn't, we wanted to make it more palpable. Like we wanted families that had kind of checked out last year and said, it's not working for us to buy back in or the singles to buy back in. That's not as much of an issue right now because everyone's like, oh man, President Nelson was so wise. We have come follow me. And now we don't get to go to church. Like we were talking about the fact that that we're not trying to bring the horse to the water as much on that. But we are, we are hopeful that we're offering something every week that invites the spirit and meets people right where they're at. If they don't fit into some little like gospel culture box, not gospel as in doctrine, right? Gospel culture where it's like, well, I'm in a mixed faith marriage. My kids are heroin addicts. My kids are rolling eyes all the time. Every time I open the scriptures, my little kids won't stop. My, you know, I deal with depression, anxiety, whatever. I'm single and I'm divorced and I'm frustrated with the church. We're hoping we're catching those people. But I also love it when seminary teachers are like, we love, we love real talk or gospel doctrine teachers are like, we love, we love real talk because you guys share things that help invite the spirit and think about the scriptures in a new way.
0: Yeah. So uh, talk to me about that process, uh, Scott, as far as like how you know, uh, Gaynellan mentioned your you know your advocacy for maybe those you know women or those that maybe aren't uh, don't fit the cultural mold that sometimes we artificially create. How do you begin to explore the gospel or point at different principles with the with those types of situations in mind?
1: So one of the things that's really helped, and I'll say this: my wife Paige has really helped me with this. She's a tremendously gifted, just leader in general. She's always been in leadership positions and and seeks them out appropriately. And and so part of this really just comes from watching her. But what I've learned is, and I've also learned this from my dad and the way he empowered my mom. And that's just, I think we just miss a lot. I've just noticed I miss things. I just miss like there's a perspective that I simply don't have. And so I think number one is just being willing to be open to listening. And so for me, that's been a big thing with Gaina Lynn is just simply being curious about how she views things, why she views it the way she does, ask questions to be curious. But to be quite honest, a big part of it is sometimes we hear the gospel explained in a very similar way all the time. And I have found, especially in the church, there are women with deep, intelligent, well-thought-out, extremely creative perspectives that just need to be heard and Ganolin is one of those and that's why I said yes is because I had known Ganolin to to have those types of perspectives And so to be honest if, it, if if they asked me to do real talk and it was me and another guy, I probably wouldn't have done it. but I want to be a part of a more well-rounded gospel discussion and in my in my estimation, the well that we need to tap into that maybe, We haven't realized is that of, is, is just the women, the women of the church are so powerfully articulate and intelligent in what they're saying. If you don't mind me just doing a quick shout out on a podcast of yours that I listened to with Dr. Susan Madsen, she talks about this and I just found that to be extremely validating and really helped me give me some tools on how I can go about, you know, having just well rounded gospel discussions and finding people with different perspectives than me and Seeing things in a different way where the spirit can testify of more truth and help me to see things in a better way. So I think just generally, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, that's been a, a key factor for me is I've, I've always been around women who have been articulate and engaging and, and creative the way I was raised and, and the person that I married. And so it's, it's, it's actually been pretty natural with Gayna Lynn. It just kind of fits in with what I'm interested in. So yeah. And would you
0: say like with sort of, again a lot of these cultural things you know a lot of times cultural culture is created unintentionally right and it just it is what it is and there it is and suddenly it's impacting us obviously we've had a long history of sort of you know with with terms like the 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 true church and you know terms like i know i know i know that we sort of get in these con- in these contexts of teaching the gospel and we're so concerned about sort of staying within the lines of being you know teaching correct doctrine that that we're afraid to venture out of there because that's maybe where the, where it gets a little uncomfortable. Is, is that where, what leads maybe to some of these cliches we hear or the, the way that the gospel is taught again and again and again? What are your thoughts?
1: I do. I think what, it, what happens is we look at truth like a destination we arrive at. And once we've got there, we're good. And I don't think that's what truth is at all. And so when, when we talk about learning doctrine, maybe we learn a truth, but to explore that truth in a meaningful way in a relevant way, is extremely useful. Like, there's so many different examples that I can think of. Like, for example, deliverance. When we talk about deliverance, the Lord can deliver. He is mighty to save. We all know that that's a truth. And if you look at it like, now I know that truth, then you might miss out on the pattern and theme of deliverance through the Book of Mormon. The word is used um, over 250 times. And I've done a study on this. Like, what does God really mean when He says, I'm going to deliver you? And so I've narrowed it down to three things. And like, for example, so if we just say God can deliver us, it might create the expectation that, for example, well, if I have mental illness, then God should heal me. Jesus Hmm. healed everyone in the New Testament that asked. I just need to ask and get healed and he'll take it away. Well, what if he doesn't? And I went through this in my late teenage years and on my mission. I'm like, I have enough faith, don't I? And then I started, and then the healing doesn't come and you start thinking, well, maybe i'm being punished or maybe i don't have enough faith and you start attacking your self-worth and then you start questioning you know does god really care about me does he see me and that's not it the point is is i needed a bigger definition of what deliverance is so i'll give you i i'll give you just really quick cuz they're easy the three key the three points i found in the book of mormon so sometimes deliverance is used because in terms of god just strengthens us to endure something Like, for example, the Come Follow Me lessons about Alma's people and Limhi's people, we see that God's strengthening them in afflictions. Sometimes God changes our perspective of trials to better understand the purpose of their meaning, which means he gives you purpose for your pain, a reason for your suffering, which is really motivating, by the way. When we don't have a purpose for suffering, we can really kind of self-destruct. And then the third one is sometimes he actually does remove the affliction. But in the Book of Mormon, the vast majority of the time, he either strengthens us to endure or he changes the people's perspective so they better understand what they're suffering. And in that, he provides deliverance and healing. And so now when you start exploring that, those different, more nuanced terms of deliverance, all of a sudden the scriptures will become more real. You'll see more meaning, more validation, and it allows the Spirit to testify of Christ and what he's trying to do with us in more profound ways.
0: Yeah. I love that. So, how do we, because sometimes here's, I had, a, I had a seminary teacher, his name was Brother Masters, and he was just incredible. And I, I remember going early to class and I could sit down and ask him any question and he would flip open to the scriptures. Well, go to here and read that verse. And there's your answer. i like, wow, that's great. And I remember then you know, a decade or so later, when suddenly I'm I'm the bishop, I suddenly feel like I'm supposed to be that brother masters who can who can just flip a. Let's go to the scriptures, right? When usually I was like, okay, I remember there's a scripture. It's an Alma. Give me a minute, okay? It's really good. Let me find this right, and it was it wasn't as as slick. And so for parents at home that maybe are trying to you know, because I love that, that the example of deliverance, like suddenly the gospel becomes so tangible and it's like so applicable to my life. Okay. I'm not broken. Like it's just a different way that we can understand deliverance on and on. Right. So how can we better take the gospel and translate in that way without feeling like we have to be the brother masters that just knows all the answers, knows all the scriptures memorized. Any, any thoughts on that?
1: I'll just say maybe a couple of thoughts is number one, Give up the pressure that you have to have all the answers. Even as a seminary teacher, it happens to me all the time where students come to me and I'm like, I have no idea. There is healing in sitting in a question without an answer with someone else. Sitting in a question without an answer by yourself is far more frightening than have, feeling like you have someone who will do it with, go through it with you. And so, um, there may be students that come to me and say, brother Sorensen, I want to understand, help me understand my patriarchal blessing better. Well, the way I understand mine could be very different than the way they understand theirs. And so generally speaking, I use the gospel topics library in the, in the gospel topics in the gospel library app, I should say. I use that all the time. And I'll just say, Hey, listen, why don't you go into the, go in there? You read it. I'll read it. Highlight the things that, that are meaningful for you and the things that you have questions about. And then come back to me and talk to me about it because the spirit can testify of so many different, like, if there's one thing I've learned, God is so creative in how he answers questions and he's so personal and he's so beautiful at it. Like he is the perfect gift giver and question answerer. And so I find it far less useful for me to be like, well, you should look at your patriarchal blessing this way, or you should study women in the priesthood that way, rather than just saying, well, let's figure out what's, what's, that, what's the actual question you have and kind of leading people through what What is our actual question where you get to a point you can write it down? How do I feel about it? Maybe go through the process of how does it make you feel, especially if those feelings are negative. Get them out there, right? And go through and then say, okay, well, let's figure it out together. What a way better way of studying the gospel in the home by just pausing your your, your cover-to-cover Book of Mormon study. And just saying, okay, we don't understand this. Let's study it as a family. Like I find that far more useful. And I feel like the spirit is like jumping for joy. Like finally, I can testify of the truth that this person needs where it might be a little bit different than what someone else needs. So I would just simply just go through it together, practice it together. How else are you going to figure it out? Like no one gets good at shooting free throws by Asking someone how to shoot free throws. Eventually, you got to get out on the court and do it. And so, I would give mm-hmm. up the pressure of trying to be the expert. And I love that that seminary teacher's name is Brother Masters. Poor guy, yep, George like Masters. A, he was the awesome. precedence <laughs> that, like, going through anyway. But just give yep. up the. You don't have to be an expert on the gospel. And so, but yeah, just learn. Say I don't know the answer to the question. Let's try and figure it out. But the best place I would start is in your Gospel Library app. Go to topics and then Gospel topics. And then just start searching in there and see if you can, and then and then go from there.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate that, um, that you know, as far as addressing the pressure, because sometimes, especially the way Come Follow Me is laid out, like this week, we're studying, you know, this chapter to this chapter. And we feel like as parents, we're like, okay, like I've got to, you know, not that we feel like we have to teach everything in there, but it's like, I have to dissect, you know, Mosaic 18 and really understand this. And then, oh, it's gone. Okay. What's next week, Right. And so, by giving yourself that grace of saying like, you know what, maybe we're going to stay in Mosiah 18 for four weeks. And as the parent of the house, I'm going to say that's okay, right? And we don't have to like, constantly keep up because I feel like that's why a lot of people are defaulting to some of these YouTube resources which again they're great you're one of them but sometimes we feel like I don't know how to get through these six chapters this week so hey these two people do so let's listen to them right And
2: we don't I mean I would just say that's one of the things that we value saying on the onset like mm-hmm. we're not going to get through there's some weeks like by the time we're done taping we've gone through the whole book of Mozaiah in May and mm-hmm. that's pretty phenomenal and some weeks you know, we're still trying to hit a mark and we've really thrown out, we have to keep reminding ourselves, what's the real talk or the real life application? And when, when we're discussing our counseling together, either before taping or, or during, I love when the spirit directs us to have new awarenesses. And one of the things that has come out in the last few months, I don't know if Scott has a different example, is that somewhere in first Nephi, you, you miss that Lehi really struggled. And I've I've read First Nephi a billion trillion times. That's an actual number for all the accountants <laughs> out there. And uh, it wasn't until Scott and I were counseling together and preparing for the show that it was like, wait, wait, this is a man that has come to know Christ because he struggled. And that allowed Nephi to have the Psalms of Nephi, which is some of my favorite scripture, where he talks about his struggle and Alma struggled. So then how does he approach Alma the Younger? because of his struggle, right? And so to, to add to what Scott was saying is that if as parents, we really open it up to our kids to say, how do you want scripture study come follow me to look? You know, at the beginning of COVID, we sat down and said, how do we want Sundays to feel? Now, we don't have littles running around, you know, but so I have a teenage daughter and a, a return missionary son that's here sometimes. And we were able to have that conversation without too many interruptions. No Legos were being thrown and no eye rolling. But we had a conversation about what does it feel like in our home on Sunday now that we're having this new experience? And what do you want to learn? And I just shared with Scott today that we've struggled with morning devotional and evening devotional. Like we got through the first saints volume all last year for our evening study but this year, my daughter is doing Book of Mormon for seminary, so she didn't want to double that up as our family study. And And my husband leaves early, and she sleeps late, and then summer comes, and when are we going to... And just literally a week ago, a friend of mine shared that she's got three teenagers that are constant like winning gold medals for eye-rolling, and she finally was frustrated with evening scripture study. And she, she says, we're doing evening devotional, which means we're rotating it, and they've bought in. And so I brought that idea home and it's been brilliant. Instead of my husband going through like the book of Isaiah and we're like all half asleep and he's reading to check it off the list, you know, like you were saying earlier, it's much more spirit directed and we've had conversations that are applicable, but that what's that, that buy-in is happening for all of us because you're going to be in charge in a couple of days. So you better contribute. And I think that is the beauty of come follow me. I mean, I, I think it's the beauty of the change in the youth, children's youth program is, you know, it's gone from how many check boxes to one of, are we coming to Christ? Are we coming to know Christ? And what does that look like for each individual and families? And I think that's really kind of our approach too with real talk. And I think individually in our own families, Scott's family is a little bit younger. Ours is a little bit older, and the dynamics of our lives continue to change. And the Lord is super mindful of the fact that, you know, every family's got a different dynamic. I don't know where we got off some cultural cliff where we thought there was a prescribed, you know, painting of what a member of the church's family is supposed to look like. And anything out in the margins wasn't what God wanted. When Jesus was all about the marginalized, he was about talking to the leper, the sinner. He was about calling apostles that came from various backgrounds and personality types. And, and so Scott and I both have this hunger to like understand a different perspective and, and bring those people to the table because it's a loss for all of us. If all the LGBT leave, if all the women are too quiet. If all the people questioning, and I love what Scott said, wrestling with our questions instead of just sitting in that, they don't have a faith friend that they can call and say, you know what? I just read this on, on Google about Joseph Smith, and it's not sitting well with me. How many people have walked away because they didn't have that trusted friend that they could call and say, I know you may not be the seminary teacher that knows all the scriptures, but I know you've wrestled with faith, and this one is not sitting with me and it's starting to fester. I have a number of those people where I know if I call them and say, I read this, it's not going to push them into some crazy thinking themselves, but they'll sit with me in that. And I think our families, if we're not careful, we're missing the modeling in the Book of Mormon this year, that these were all families that were wrestling with something, all of them. There's not one story in all the standard works where it was a family that was like, checkbox, checkbox. I mean, we have periods of time where they say, and they were the happiest people for this many generations. But I bet even in those happiest generation times, there were individual families that were like, I don't like you. I don't even know if I love you today, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think when we're if we're not careful, Jesus modeled for us the conversation with the marginalized. He busted down the doors of the pharisaical temples to invite all of those people that had decided, I don't fit that culture. And because of that, you know, we have that chance to do that in our homes. And if our kids aren't hearing us talk of Christ in that way, then I guarantee they're already deciding, "Uh, maybe I don't fit because if my parents knew this about me, they would not be happy with me, right?
0: Yeah. And I'm curious, I, I, uh, as far as like in the context of either being a parent or even leaders that are trying to stimulate, you know, effective come follow me in their, in their wards or helping families that are really struggling with it. I think sometimes it's easy to get in, into the exercise of really trying to project a testimony on our children, right? Like, I'm going to teach you these things and we're going to be consistent and someday you will have that testimony. And we by doing that, we sometimes miss the connection, the connection opportunity that, that's right there for these for your family. And so and I feel like you you two have really done a good job and have a great approach of doing this. So when we go to the come follow me setting, whatever setting that is in, how can we stimulate just as much connection while we try and stimulate testimony?
1: Kurt, I am so glad you asked this question. This is, if I could, if I had to preach one message for the rest of my life in the gospel, it would be connection. I cannot get anywhere in the scriptures without, like, everything in the gospel is about relationships. It's about connecting with God, with self, and with others, and, you know, and how that all interacts. Like, the whole gospel is, the gospel is about relationships. And so, in some families, your relationships aren't, no one, like, how, Like kids don't want to sit and listen to mom and dad hit the couch and say, I know that Alma, you know, this, like they, it's just not resonating with them. But what might resonate with them is you use the example of Mosiah 18. You could spend four weeks in there. Well, what if you spent five minutes giving the storyline of it? So they kind of understand the context. And one of the great verses in there, it says that the effect of the gospel on these people is their hearts were knit together in unity and love one toward another. What if that week you said, let's do this seven-year-old son. I have a seven-year-old son. What's something you love to do together as a family? I love bike rides. Awesome. We're going to go on a bike ride this week, you know? Okay. So that's going to do it. And then 12-year-old daughter, what do you like to do? I love to swing and do tricks in the backyard. Cool. Let's go do that for one evening. What if that was your come follow me? What if you actually (laughs) did something that knit your hearts together as a family? Our family loves Just Dance 2020 on the Xbox. And there are times where scripture study, my wife and I are looking around and we're like, this isn't happening, but you know what is A dance party. And we just stop. We turn on the Xbox. We let every kid, I have three kids, they each pick a song. We dance for 15 minutes and then we go back and we spend five more minutes back in the scriptures. But I guess my point is sometimes, like, can we do Come Follow Me in action? Like, can we actually summarize at times and then other times, like you said, other times some families, you know, Gaina Lynn has a has a high school age daughter. She might want to sit in the scriptures from time to time and learn and understand and define words and do stuff like that. My kids don't have the attention span or capacity. They're just not that interested in it. So why don't we do something that we're reading about in the scriptures? And I love what Gaina Lynn said. Sometimes what if we just said, what do you guys want to do? Let's do it that way for a while. And everyone picks something. Your day's Tuesday. Pick something. Your day's Wednesday. How do you want to do it? You want to build a fort and read in in, in a fort? Let's do that. I don't know. I think we miss that in in trying to get people to understand the scriptures, we miss that there's actually a relationship connection involved in what we're doing. I think there's far more creativity and latitude in our scripture study than maybe we sometimes think because we're trying to do it a prescribed way.
2: And I think that's exactly what the new ministering program is about and scares everyone because it's not prescribed anymore. We can't just say, I was in their home. We had a lesson. Check, check. It's about Scott and I just recently had a wonderful conversation. Kurt, you know the Bordens, and Mm -hmm. we just had a wonderful conversation with them. and, And it was Becky, I believe, that said, without access, you have no influence. And so whether, like right now, I have the greatest calling in the church, and that is Valiant Nine Teacher. And I'm just going <laughs> to say it straight up. We have 11 kids. And every week in during this pandemic, we've tried to have access, you know, in some way. And um, I love those kids. And I-, I love their personalities. And they're asking hard questions right before the, the quarantine started one of our kids said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're turning 10. That means in a year, we can go to the temple. Why did God want us to go to the temple at 11? And I was like, I love you so much. And I said, that is the greatest question. Why? Why does God trust an 11 year old now to go to the go to the temple? And they all looked at me and I said, what do you think? and they were like well i don't know and i said do you think he trusts you yeah do you think he needs you there because we're getting ready for jesus to come and their eyes were just like huge right and those kids get it now with the new schedule we had 20 minutes of a lesson by the time you get kids in there and you talk about your week that's like a 10 minute lesson and so my husband and i we were way over preparing and i think we do this in our families and i think we do it in leadership callings right where we like We, you know, we don't want to pull back and let the spirit direct. We want to like force feed all the content of the book of Mosiah. And we learned pretty quickly, like there's no room for the spirit in that. And so if we don't oversimplify it, then the spirit gets pushed out the door. And it was interesting what, what would change then, because we knew we had maybe 15 minutes on a good Sunday to share a principle, maybe one principle, if we were lucky two. And would it light their hearts up? And I think when we're in families, that's a different leadership opportunity, right? Because we're living together. It's messy. We're like on top of each other with like laundry and garbages and chores and all of that. And so it's not this like fresh once a week, we get to see our primary kids experience. And so it, it can even be more challenging to say, are we getting down to the fleshy tablets of the heart? And that's what we try to do on Real Talk, but. Like as a mom, we always tell our firstborn, sorry, you've got a jar already with money to go to the therapist because we were trying to figure it out. And it wasn't until he went to Zimbabwe for two years that he had context for why we were doing family council and family home evening that way, right? He saw other families and he was like, "Wow, well, my parents are not that wackadoodle, you know? And yet I, I know we missed the mark. I wish I had sat. It's going to make me cry and played Legos and talked to him about, I think I write that in my book. I think it was You Are More Than Enough that he he walked into the MTC and I was like, okay, come back. I'll play video games. I'll, I'll play Legos. I promise. Like... That's what those were the moments. And I'm trying to do a little bit better with a totally different kid. That's the other thing is that each kid is different. And so whether you're the bishop or the primary teacher or the primary president, I think it's access, like Becky Borden said, access or else you don't have influence. And if that means dance party 2020, which Scott, you have not invited me to that. And I'm offended because I live it's close on. by.
1: <laughs> then, Come on over. We'll let you know next time we do it.
2: Okay. Okay. I think the changes that we're having right now in the church are leading towards a heart directed, a spirit directed approach to ministering to primary, to come follow me to whatever we're doing. And I think that that is, that's moving us away from sometimes the safety, the law of Moses to the gospel of Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's uncomfortable and it's not perfect and it doesn't look like Pinterest. You know, I mean, I'm part of some come follow me pages and there's some high expectation out there. I've <laughs> joked about it, but it's actually very true that like the King Benjamin chapters there were actual towers being built. And I'm not trying to take away from that, but you know, the Tree of Life week was literally pages of social media posts of costumes being sewn and trees being built and special fruit. Great if that's how you're going to create access, great. For th- for the rest of us Uh, parents that are just trying to get through the day, that if that's the standard for come follow me, no wonder we're opting out more often than we're opting in.
0: Yeah. And it's articulated so well that so many times, and I I feel this as a parent, sometimes I sort of want access to their heart through the commandments and through the behaviors, right? I'll say, I'm going to emphasize these so much and then your heart will be changed and you'll get it. But in reality, we have a backwards where our daughter isn't necessarily going to care how much, what her dad thinks about the law of chastity until she knows that he'll, she'll do dance 2020 or whatever this is that you guys do, right? Like in that moment, it's like, okay, he's connected with me. He's understood my heart. And in when the time's right, maybe open to maybe understanding that, that conversation about those important commandments and doctrines, right? So, you started with heart, you get to the behaviors later rather than starting with the behaviors in order to get to the heart. And I think that happens a lot on, you know, the on the leadership level as far as an award. You know, are you the bishop that, you know, how many of us had the bishop where all we can remember is the law of chastity lesson? We don't necessarily remember him, you know, shooting hoops with us in the gym. Right. And so it's it's even more easy to make this mistake. I think at times when we're the leader and we think, well, I don't I don't know what to say. But, you know, I've got 10 scriptures about, you know, modesty that that we can talk about. (laughs) Right. So,
1: Kurt, we're on Zoom and I'm trying really hard because if I laugh, it's going to cut you off. I'm trying so hard not to laugh. Yeah. How, how, did, how did we grow up in the same ward? No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but that's how it felt though sometimes was just like, in fact, I'll tell you this and, and I'm not saying, well, never mind. I won't. I just sometimes, yeah, we can say little things and do little things that might come across very judgmental to especially teenagers and young adults. And it will, it'll close off the access. And if you don't have access, you... It is almost impossible to have influence.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm going to throw a little, I've shared a little bit about Bradwell Cox, who's now a newly called member of the General Young Men's Presidency. We've traveled a lot together and spoken a lot together, and I count him as a friend. A small world, my chiropractor was one of his missionaries when he was mission president. And so okay. every time I go to my chiropractor, we have Bradwell Cox conversations. And I've spent the last few years hearing the type of mission president he was. And uh, he was so heart directed. And I think anyone that knows him or has watched him present any message will, will see that kind of heart directed spirit about him. And not everyone's personality as a leader is that, you know, I mean, I've had bishops that are geniuses, but a little bit on the spectrum socially. And it was very anxiety driven to sit and have tithing settlement because that created a lot of face to face conversation. And I love that God creates presidencies, you know, and yeah. he allows us to have ward councils, even if we're not wired to counsel directly very well. And I think that's because we're not all the Brad Wilcoxes. And I think there was a, I know I may be overstepping this, that there was a, my phone blew up when the announcement was made that there's this very heart directed person, part of this presidency that is heart directed. And, and I think God trusts all kinds of leaders. He, He'd trust all kinds of parents and all kinds of, you know, come follow me bloggers, right? And he's not panicked that, that Matthew was a tax collector and maybe a little bit fastidious about everything. And Peter had a temper and could be a bit of a fighter. And, and so I think he understands that, you know, my kids got some of my strengths and then had to deal with a lot of my weaknesses, right? And I think we, we get that in all callings. And I love that we rotate from Bishop to Sunbeam teacher, you know, like that we're not, we're not, there are some emeritus status callings, but most of the church leadership is about this rotation so that we bring those different strengths and perspectives. And, and I think to where we started with men and women counseling together and what I think Scott and I are trying to show the how, because, and not that we have all the answers, but so long in the church, I felt like I grew up in the church. I'm a little older than both of you that we talked about the what. We're starting to get better talking about the why, but we don't always show the how. And so you hear these talks from general conference pulpits, and you're like, Great, you just talked about forgiveness, but I'm living this reality with my my son that's just come out, or my husband that's got a porn addiction, and I, I don't know what that looks like. And so, in modeling some of our discussion, you know, I think it's it's exciting to me to see that. I get to co-host with someone that is excited about my perspective and I try to be the same back at him. But how are we showing that to our kids? Like, How are we showing our children that wherever you're at, come and bring it instead of if it doesn't check this box and this box, you're out of the party. And so I think so much about what we're doing has to be heart directed. Our family served in Nauvoo in the pageant and one year we were given some training And I love the idea that in the Navajo pageant, they talk a lot about how did that feel to you when you came on the stage? They didn't prescribe exactly take this many steps on the stage. They told us the entrances and the exits at any given point. And then they just said the directors would overemphasize the positive and they would say, okay, so that was awesome. We noticed the Condi family over there. They were super excited in that scene. How do you think it's going to feel? And that changed my parenting. I started to start to see what were the important exits and entrances in any given day. And then the middle stuff, let there be ownership in our families and in our wards, because we're going to approach everything different. And they would have burnt out doing the Navu pageant if they had prescribed every. They have this volunteer cast that comes in every two weeks with a new group of families. And the way they've emphasized is we're going to celebrate what we want to see, not overemphasize what we can't. And in that pageant training, we were taught that if you do too much of the correcting, the spirit has to do the comforting. So instead, as parents or as church leaders, if we're doing more of the comforting, which that's why I brought up Brad Wilcox, because he's taught me that by example, then the spirit can do the correcting and the teaching.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Well, we're, we're running out of time here. Any principle or point that we haven't touched on that uh, you would definitely want to touch on before we we wrap up.
1: If I can say one more, one that and this comes from my like I said I I haven't always been a seminary teacher as a, as a profession. So I spent a lot of time in the business world and so if I could give a leadership principle that I find from the scriptures that I didn't feel like I learned until I saw it in the scriptures and that is that I'm, I'm an economics major and so I like things to be efficient right you're studying to make things as efficient as possible and if they're efficient then they're going to be max you're going to maximize productivity I don't see that pattern at least the way I interpreted it in the scriptures so what I would be careful of is is efficient just be efficiency is not always the same as productivity or effectiveness because if it was I'll give you case in point and this is where I learned it was in first Nephi if God was worried about how efficient Lehi's family was, he would have given them like a youth conference packing list before they went into the wilderness, right? Like you would have said, go talk to Ishmael. That's going to be important. You may want to learn how to build a boat because that's coming in a few years. And uh, oh, by the way, grab the plates. Like that would have been efficient. But God is, gener- is creating a leader in Nephi and then in Jacob that is going to completely start whole civilization of spirituality. It's essentially a restoration to some extent and so and so he's got to create a leader in Nephi and he does it very inefficiently but God's but it's almost like God's efficiency isn't our efficiency if that's the right way of saying it And so he sends Nephi back like back and forth to, to Jerusalem a bunch but what does Lee or Nephi learn about leadership in those experiences? It's significant. It's the same thing with Alma the older. When he chose to leave King Noah's court, why didn't God just part the Red Sea, so to speak, and show him Zarahemla? Be like, dude, there it is. There's Zarahemla. It took him 25 years almost to get to Zarahemla. Well, what did Alma the Older learn in leadership during those 25 years? And by the way, Gainalin and I just talked about this. Alma the Older is going to be the beginning of a seven-generational prophetic leadership line. You're going to get Alma, Alma the Younger, Two Helamans after that, and then three Nephites, including the Nephi who's the chief disciple when Jesus comes. God was doing something with Alma the Older in leadership training that seems very inefficient when you read it, but it was extremely productive because God could see g- seven generations of prophetic leadership starting with Alma the Older. And so you'll learn, I, I just I, I don't want people to feel like because it doesn't look efficient, it must not be effective or productive. I would actually say, in mortality, there is more divinity to be found in inefficiency than there is to be found in like efficiency. Things going the right way. Hopefully, I said that correctly. But there's example after example all throughout the scriptures of this.
2: And yeah. I would, and I, I would add the Zion's Camp example. We were talking about this that these COVID nineteen missionaries right now that have come home been reassigned. The young new marrieds of this period of time. Churches shut down. My son who's in college where depending on who your roommates are, that could really change how your Sunday looks. And, you know, the temples closed and everyone felt that. I mean, I, I would say I felt that. And many of my friends talked about the feeling of that closure and it's easy to go into some panic, but Zion's camp to me was the perfect example of if they had effectively accomplished something, it was supposed to look like A plus B equals C and none of that happened. And yet we know from that leadership came out of that experience. And that to me is one of the characteristics of wilderness experiences. And we all have them, whether it's mental health issues or addiction issues or literally being called to move across the country, you know, that we're, we're being, being prepared to become something. And oftentimes we can't measure that in the fruit or the production level. Right. And. The effectiveness of that is frustrating at times. And I think, I think it's so brilliant to see that God is preparing our future leadership right now. I've said this to my teenager and my college student that you are going to have muscle memory that none of the leadership from a political standpoint or a religious standpoint has to pull from. You guys are going to know how to do a pandemic, you know? Like, Everyone making decisions right now is like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Have you ever done anything like this? No, I haven't either. And so I am going to be so joyful to see what lessons are being taught as like Nephi was becoming the great prophet he was because he had crazy brothers, you know, dysfunctional yeah. family and eight years in the wilderness trying to figure out likely because they didn't live by the sea. He had never built a boat before and there was no Pinterest to download the plans from. And so I love what Scott shared with you, but I think all of us just take a breath. God is not like, oh, I didn't see the pandemic coming. Now my temples are closed. Now my missionaries are coming home. Now what am I going to do? We're right on track.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love I love that point. Great one to end on. So uh Ginalyn, maybe tell us if people are interested in following the Real Talk video series, uh, where would you send them and how can they learn more?
2: I'm laughing because <laughs> our producer and camera guy, keep saying that we have to come up with this quick way of saying like, subscribe and click the bell. And so I just (laughs) laugh when you ask that question. So we're on all the platforms. You can find us on the Siegel YouTube channel. You can find us on Instagram, but one of our favorite places to find us is on Facebook for all the old people that are still hanging out on Facebook. We have a real talk. Come follow me Facebook group. And the reason we love that we love YouTube and we love Instagram And we love podcasts. It's also on all the podcast platforms, but we love the Real Talk Facebook group because we get to interact, you know? Scott will post bonus stuff about his life and I'll share some things and we can have conversation that we're not always able to have on those other platforms. But you can find us on all the places you like to find us. You can't find us on Twitter yet, but you can find me on Twitter. But (laughs) yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, Scott, I'll give you the last word. Uh, as far as you know, just your journey through your own anxiety and depression, and and you know all of that. How has that journey made you a better follower of Jesus Christ?
1: I'll tell a really long story in one minute, and that is just simply I finally got to a point where I felt like that that deliverance idea. God, where are you? Like, what? Where where are you in life? And it was in my mid twenties, and I had checked all the boxes. I'd done the mission thing. I got married in the temple. I was having kids and going to school. And I'm just like, I had had it. I just was so spent. And I remember eating lunch in my car one day at work. I had just gone out to grab something because I was a little emotionally fragile at the time. And uh, I had this impression. And the impression was, he told me, you have depression because it makes you a more compassionate person. And it stopped me. I was like, wait, what? Like, it was just one of those moments. And, and it repeated, you have depression because it makes you a more compassionate person. And then the second part of the impression was, and I need you to be compassionate for what I want you to do. And it was the first time in my life that I didn't look at... I, I was like, wait a second, God's okay with this? This isn't an ugly part of me that I need to hide and hope no one ever finds out about. And it, it gave me acceptance that it was okay. And then He gave me purpose for my pain. And so when I have my depression episodes and my anxiety, and it really gets to me, I just simply honor it, that it's good. It's actually sacramental in a way, because it's a token of remembrance of what God can do through me for other people. And so in that way, um, I'm actually grateful for it. I'm not grateful that it feels the way it feels sometimes, but I'm grateful that I am a far more compassionate person with it than without it. And I'm okay with that. And because God told it to me, it makes all the difference in the world. And so that's really where my faith in God's delivering power, I've experienced it. And now I can validate it in the scriptures. I see it in the scriptures everywhere. And so this this whole thing, if I can just end on this, President Nelson is emphasizing that we need to develop the capacity and the ability to hear God speak to us as individual individuals. I could not be more behind that and what he's trying to do, I believe deeply that when God tells you something, it makes all the difference in the world. And so, if we can align ourselves in whatever ways we need to, to do it and let God speak to us, and it will legitimately change the trajectory of our lives.
0: That concludes my interview with Gaynelin Condi and Scott Sorensen. I really enjoyed that—just their insight and perspective. I was, I was taking notes as far as you know, as far as building connection and really. Uh, giving us some grace when it comes to Come Follow Me. It looks like my kids have found me recording the podcast. But we're real people, folks, with real lives, right? What would it be without uh, listening to something that doesn't get recorded or interrupted by by kids? That's the Zoom world we live in. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed this. I would love to get your feedback on uh, what points really resonated with you. And I really have it on my plan, on my list, that at some point we're going to do a whole virtual summit about uh, mental health as it relates to our culture and leading and is because there is a ton to consider. So if you're interested in participating in something like that or know someone I should reach out to, to include in that effort, please do. It'd be great to hear. And remember, text the word lead to 474747 and join the core leader community today.
1: It came as a result of the
2: position of leadership, which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. and When the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which
1: we must face up with boldness and courage— and ability.